you got a Bible, we are still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I promised this week that I was going to finish up 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to, I'm going to do that before we move to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is a really, really great book, a really, really great chapter as well. And uh, so this little letter, or not little letter, this letter written by Paul to the church at Corinth, Corinth was an extremely wicked city uh, that this church was planted, which is a great thing to have the gospel uh, in the midst of uh, a wicked place like this for people to be able to hear the gospel, for their hearts to be changed, their lives to be changed. And so in doing that, though, people don't change overnight, right? Sanctification takes a while in people's lives. And so a lot of times as a new Christian or as a Christian that's not really mature, it's easy to fall back into some of the old ways or the old lifestyles or the old choices of things that you did in the past. And so um, Corinth was full of people that were, uh, you know, uh, full of, of, of sin and full of all this uh, partying spirit and all this uh, showmanship type stuff and entertainment. And uh, so when Paul left, uh, he left them and these uh, new uh, leaders had come in and some of them were false leaders. Some of them were just uh, ill-advised leaders. Some of them were immature leaders. And so uh, they began to lead the church down a road that allowed them to fall back into some of their old way of life. And obviously, when you are a Christian, and for those who have experienced that as, a, as an immature Christian, when you, when you act that way or fall into those ways, the first thing you do is start doubting if you really are a Christian or not. You start doubting, well, did I really get saved? Am I really changed? Did, did, something, did God really change my heart? Then why am I falling back for these things? And then also, you still have an appetite for some of those things. And so, in their church services and in their church, it got a little crazy, all right? And so, as they were having these services and, and working out these details, um, we talked about all sorts of things with head coverings and with um, all, all sorts of the, the Lord's Supper and about the worship service itself. And then chapter 12 opens up and it talks about spiritual gifts, and uh, last week we talked, uh, actually last two um, messages, we've talked a little bit about spiritual gifts. And he says it's very easy to discern between someone who is, uh, has a spiritual gift that's edifying or that's exercising that spiritual gift or someone who is not exercising a spiritual gift but using a natural talent or some sort of, uh, some sort of worldly way of trying to um, to lead the church or to lead the church astray. And he says in verse uh, 3, very plainly, if you do not speak by the Spirit of God that Jesus Christ is Lord, then, then you're not really uh, edifying the church. That's not a spiritual gift. Because every person who's a Christian who's leading the church that's going to uh, teach the church should be leading people to the name of Jesus Christ. If it leads anywhere else, or it denies the name of Jesus Christ, even specifically here um, for the Jews that were, were not Christians, but was also trying to include themselves in as Christians. Paul was saying, if they're teaching another gospel, if they're teaching something other than Jesus Christ, and at the end of the service or at the end of exercising that gift, you say how great that person is, or you say how great you, your feelings are, or you say, say how great of entertainment that was, then that's not from the Holy Spirit. When it's all said and done, you should say how great Jesus is. That that magnified Jesus, it, it edified the church, it lifted up Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit it is to witness to us 
to, to tell us or to allow us to know that's what's from God. And so uh, Paul begins to explain to them how these diversity of gifts, and he tells them, I don't want you to be ignorant, but I want you to know about these spiritual gifts. And he says, all these gifts are given for the purpose of the body of Christ. So there is no individualism when it comes to exercising the gift in the body of Christ. There is no competition. There is no uh, competitive fire. There is no Paul is better than Apollos or Apollos is better than, you know, this teacher or that teacher. In, in the work of God, it's all the same. They're all the same. It's not competing businesses or competing styles. It is everyone on the same team or in the same body for the same purpose. And everyone has a gift. If you're saved, you, you receive this gift. A gift is different than a talent. We talked about that. You can have talent and it not be a gift. But a gift is given to the Lord, by the Lord to a born-again believer. Now, you think about this. When do you receive natural talents? When you're born, right? You always hear the phrase, someone plays football, uh, and they're really, really gifted, and they say, that's God's natural born gift to them, right? Uh, well, when someone is supernaturally born, guess what they get? They get a gift. And you could say the same thing about somebody who serves the Lord. That's a supernatural gift that was given at the birth of when someone becomes a Christian. There is a gift there. And so uh, as he begins these gifts, he's saying they're all parts of this thing. They're all part of a body. They are all for one reason. And they all do the, the same thing. And because the foot can't say I'm not a hand and the body can't say I'm not, and the ear can't say I'm not part of it, and the eye can't say I'm part of it because it takes all of them together to make a healthy body. And that's the goal of the church universal and the church locally. Um, I explained this when we first started this, that there is a universal church of brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world that were all baptized into one spirit and one, and one body of Christ. But we all as well locally congregate in different congregations. And all those congregations are different, right? Some are bigger, some are smaller, some in style are different, but we're all part of a, a, a universal church that works together to share the gospel and to disciple people. And then we're also um, individual churches who collectively gather together uh, specifically in a location. And in that church, the goal is to become a complete body. The goal is not to have just a few people or a few parts of the body. The goal is to have a, a, a complete body. And so when God calls people into the church or when people are saved through the church or through the message of the church, God gifts them for that part of the body that's needed. And so that's why it's important for us to keep our minds open, to understand what our gifts are and be able to serve the body because when people come, you know, it's much greater to have a complete body than an incomplete body, right? It's much greater to have all your parts working so you can accomplish your goal. And when one is not functioning, it hurts. You know, it, it limits, it tears down, it keeps the church from being all that it can be. And so for us as, as members of the church, we should try to use our gifts as much as possible to make a complete body so that we can minister to everyone and then also be ministered to. Because there are gifts to the church that sometimes you are able to minister and sometimes you need to be ministered to. And uh, if you've ever been to a point where you really need to be ministered to, there's nothing greater than in a body of Christ to have other gifted believers come alongside of you and 
encourage you and walk you through trials and tribulations when you know you couldn't have made it on your own. And so that's the goal. And that's the goal for us to do that. And so um, tonight I wanted to talk a little bit more specifically about the gifts. And so um, when he, he brings this up in verse 4 here, and he also makes a list here. And there's three lists in the Bible of uh, spiritual gifts. They vary a little bit. And so um, I'm going to mention these scriptures, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the categories of gifts in general, and then we're going to talk a little more specifically about those gifts. So I'm going to read verses 4 all the way down through 11, and then we'll, we'll dig in talking about these things. It says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually um, as He wills. And so, um, first thing you notice about all these gifts is that every part belongs and has a purpose in the body. So when he, he lists these things as part of it, that they all work together. Individual gifts, and then also gifts collectively together um, that need the other parts. And all gifts contribute to the good of the body, to the whole of the body. And so as he begins these, uh, he begins these gifts here, I want to share with you out of these scriptures and out of a couple other lists in here uh, and, the, and the generalities of spiritual gifts. And so I want to start with the first group. I have three groups that I want to share with you. One is foundational gifts. So when I'm talking about foundational gifts, what are foundational gifts? Because if you've ever read the book of Acts, and you're reading 1 Corinthians right here, the obvious question is, what is the deal about tongues, right? Um, what is the deal about speaking in tongues? What is the deal about interpreting tongues? What is the deal about miracles? What is the deal about people healing? Well, those are what I call, or what some scholars or biblical uh, teachers call foundational gifts. Um, these were gifts given specifically to the birth of the church. When the church first began the, the, the bottom foundation of the church. Now, we got to remember, the Old Testament mainly dealt through the nation of Israel. And all the miracles of God, and we're, we're talking about Deuteronomy, right? Um, which this week I learned 50% of the stuff in Deuteronomy is new information. 50% is actually review. So uh, when, when you get to Deuteronomy, you realize that through God and His uh, revelation to man, the nation of Israel pretty much dominates the Old Testament. So as it dominates the Old Testament, then you have the interlude where 400 years God did not speak to the nation of Israel. Then Jesus comes on the scene. Well, John the Baptist comes on the scene pointing to Jesus Christ, and then he comes. And once he comes, he begins to change, and he establishes what is called the church. And the church is full of not just the nation of Israel, but it's full of who? All those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. There is now 
no difference between Jew or Gentile or those who are outside of what they would call the covenant of God in the Old Testament. Not that God did not deal with others, but primarily he dealt through the nation of Israel. And now in the New Testament, you see this church and it's all people who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile, male or female. There's no distinction to God or his kingdom now. And so this was something that was new. This was something that was, was completely different than any other revelation before. And so what God had to do was he had to supernaturally establish his church. He had to build a foundation. And when we think about it, we sit here today as a church, and over 2,000 years, a church has, has survived and thrived throughout all sorts of parts of history because of the foundation that was laid in this first part of the church. And it's a great, great experience. I taught through the books of, book of Acts uh, several years ago. If you've never studied through Acts, that's where the church gets established. And you get to read a lot of amazing stories. Um, you read stories of how the preacher was so boring, a guy fell asleep and fell out of the window and died, and he went over and raised him from the dead. It's like, don't none of y'all fall out of windows, because I'm not going to raise you from the dead. <laughs> but if you fell out of that window, you probably wouldn't die. But anyways... Uh, there, there's a lot of remarkable stories in the book of Acts. You scratch your head and go, wow, uh, I don't see that today. That's, that's kind of crazy, you know? And the Spirit of God came upon people, and they would speak in tongues. And we'll talk about these things. These are called foundational gifts. And so the group of foundational gifts, one, the first gift was apostles. Now, when somebody calls himself an apostle with a little a, I can understand that, okay? They're talking about someone who is like a disciple with a little d, like a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus. Now, they use that term loosely, which is okay. But if you talk about apostle with a capital A, like the apostles. So the apostles were men who were supernaturally chosen by God to be the foundational leaders of the church. Matter of fact, they're so important. When you read Revelation, there's 12 there's 12 gates named after, right? There's 12 foundations and 12, 12 gates. And all and, and the bottoms of the tribe of Israel and the other 12 are the, are the apostles. And so these were foundational men, 12 of them, who was the footers or the foundation. Now, we say 12, but there was actually 13, uh, 12 and then 11 because one defaulted. You remember the story of Judas. But then also they picked one back up in the book of Acts and then also we learn that Paul calls himself the apostle born out of due time, right? So there's 13 apostles that were the foundation of the church. And the apostleship of Paul, we've learned, he argued here in Corinthians. He also argues in other places. But I think history has shown that Paul was an apostle, right? That you, you can't look at the New Testament, understand that he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, not think that he was not a foundational apostle of the church. And so... Um, most of them were martyred for their faith. Uh, John the Baptist, I mean, John the Revelator obviously was exiled to die on the island of Patmos. So um, they, were, they were martyrs. They, were, they had given their life for, 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 the, for the gospel. Um, they were born uh, to do that. Um, and, and part of the qualifications for an apostle is to know Jesus personally on the earth. All right? And, and you say, well, Paul, how did he know Jesus personally on earth? Or how did he meet him? Well, on the road to Damascus, if you remember the story. He literally had an encounter with Jesus Christ. So um, you see this part, and they also had to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that was another qualification. So in the church today, 
you will hear people call themselves apostle, apostle so-and-so preaching or apostle so-and-so teaching. Biblically, I, I don't know if you could back that up because when you talk about the foundational gifts, that's something that God supernaturally gave and they were quoting scripture and they were doing deeds that was being recorded in scripture. So apostles, that's one gift. Two is prophecy. Um, this is those who spoke biblical truth before there was a Bible. Now, remember, we get our Bibles out and we take that for granted. Matter of fact, I am ashamed of how, I, how much I take my Bible for granted. Because when I read of people who never had a Bible translated in their languages, there's still 47 languages left that does not have a Bible translated in their language. So um, if you think about not having a Bible translated in your language, or you think about living somewhere that won't let you have a copy of God's Word, I mean, there are literally believers across the world right now that only get one page of the Bible and they cherish it and hide it and memorize it as much as they can because they cherish their Bible that much. And we carry it around on our phones, iPads here. I mean, we have plenty of Bibles and copies of Bibles, but yet we got to remember, we, we shouldn't take our Bible for granted. And, and these uh, people were prophet, they would, they would have prophecy that was given to speak biblical truth and it was recorded. And that's why we, as when we finish the canon of Scripture, there's no more people adding to the Bible right now, right? Because it's a closed canon. It's something that was given by prophecy. We have the written copy of God's Word, and it is something that is sealed. So as pe people preach, we preach God's Word. But as people, as they say, prophesy, they're not prophesying the Word of God. All right, the word of God has been prophesied by people who had the gift of prophecy in the foundational foundation of the church. So apostles and prophecy and tongues. Now, it's interesting here when you talk about tongues, because uh, in the New Testament, the word tongue means tongues means languages. And at the time that the church was birthed, if you remember in Acts, there was a lot of people that were coming to Jerusalem. And so um, in that time, there was a lot of different languages. And so the disciples were unlearned men, right? They were uneducated men. So they barely knew their language or knew much of their own language. And so how, how other would you get the message of Jesus Christ out than able to share the gospel in another language, right? Think about this. Now, if you, we came to church here and there was five different people represented with five different languages, there was no, there's no possible way I could learn every language in a reasonable amount of time to spread the gospel as quickly as it needed to be spread. So supernaturally, God gave the gift of tongues to those who would preach the gospel, and as they would preach it, it would be in the language of the people that was there to understand it. And they would understand the gospel, and then also the interpretation of those tongues to be able to understand what the languages were so that the spread of the gospel could be so fast, even from the Jews all the way out to the Gentiles. And as people saw that, they marveled. Do you know why they marveled? Because they said, these people are unlearned. How did they know my language? Well, it was supernaturally by God. That's how. It was a gift given to supernaturally spread the gospel to many people in many uh, different nations at one time, foundational. And then the miracles. Uh, as you read through the Old Testament, through Deuteronomy, what do we see? Miracle after miracle after miracle. So the Jews were always looking for a sign. The Gentiles were looking for miracles. In the early foundational part of the church, God had the gift of miracles to those that could uh, had the reality of authenticating God's message with miracles and also healings. There was those who could literally heal others. Peter could heal people. 
and they could put their hands on them or they could pray for them and they would be healed. And so all these things, when we read through Acts and part of Corinthians, you see how, it, how, the, how God used it. He used it to propel the gospel to the many nations through tongues. He used the miracles to make people believe and say, this must be from God because they didn't have the history of the testimony that we've had for 2,000 years. It also used the healing part of these things. And so when you chronologically look through your Bible, through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and then Paul gets over to what they call the pastoral epistles, guess what's missing from the, every list of spiritual gifts and workings of God in the church? Guess what's missing? Tongues, miracles, and healings, right? And so if you're arguing the point that tongues, miracles, and gifts are still here today, let me tell you, there still are miracles, there still is healing, and there still is uh, those who can preach the gospel, I believe, in any tongue, but it's not the majority of the church anymore. These are things that are God's will. We can pray for God to heal somebody, but I do not have the gift of healing. If I did, I could walk in a hospital and I could heal people, but I don't have that gift. So I don't have the gift to be able to put hands on someone and heal someone. I do not have the gift to be able to call on God and call down a miracle. We can pray. We can seek God's will. He's the God of the miracles. He's the God of the healings. He's the God of supernaturally spreading the gospel, and we can pray for those things, and we can seek God's will for those things, and He can do them, and He does do them, but there's a reason why they're called miracles, right? Because they don't happen very often, right? Because they're not something that you would see every Sunday or see every time, but they are miracles, are supernatural acts of God only by God. So in the early church, God used these in a way to authenticate His message foundational to start the foundation of the church, which was which was a great way. So for me, studying biblical history, thinking about how these gifts are in the church today, these would be ones that I would say were foundational that has, has moved past the foundational part of the church. We've had over 2,000 years of history. We've had the written word of God. We got a host of testimony and believers of people who witness to who God is and who Jesus Christ is. We also have the indwelling Holy Spirit that comes and indwells people and witnesses to people. So for me, the foundational gifts are, are gone. Now, some will argue about the tongues. We'll, get, we'll talk about it later on, about a private prayer tongue. That's a totally different subject. I'm talking about a public use of tongues where people would get up and say stuff in different languages or proclaim these things. So that's, that's what I believe are the foundational gifts of these things. Then there are the permanent gifts. And this is where we really um, see it in, at work in the church here, but we also see it in a lasting way or a permanent way. Um, and two categories. Uh, one is the speaking gifts. Now, these are gifts that were given to people to speak, like the Word of God and these things. So they, these are speaking roles. And so part of these gifts are, um, speaking gifts is, one is teaching. Now, when you teach, uh, it is the gift that's used to teach the Bible and biblical principles in a very accurate manner. Now, we were, I was just sharing with Miss Ann talking about uh, study Bibles, and I was tell, we were talking about John MacArthur. To me, uh, some of these uh, writers and theologians are great teachers because they teach and they, they share it with such biblical accuracy. Like, they know their Greek. To me, it's all Greek to me. All right, so I can study and I could try. But when people start telling you how to interpret God's word or Greek, 
uh, which I've said this before, reminds me of a great story of, of, of Dr. Phillips. Um, he was teaching one time, and he went up there, and the guy told him he, was, he had misquoted the Bible, and so he handed him his Bible to show him, and it was a totally Greek New Testament. Um, it was not a translation. It was literally the Greek New Testament. He said, can you show me where? And of course, the guy didn't know how to speak Greek. So he, he was like, okay, so if you learn the Greek language and you can correct someone, then you can, you can have an opportunity to speak up. But otherwise, you got you to gotta stand on the shoulders of people who are biblical teachers, right? Those who have biblical accuracy. And what a great gift to the church, people who dedicate their whole life to study theology and to be able to be accurate in these things, to have things like the Baptist faith and message. Um, you can go online and see a copy of it, of to what, 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 what you actually can believe, or what the Southern Baptists believe as a group, and it's biblically accurate. It has great information with accuracy and the deep, deep doctrines of God, and it's shared in a very practical manner. Have you ever listened to someone and said, how in the world did it take something so hard and make it sound so easy? That's the gift of teaching, right? I mean, that's what teachers do. They take a subject that's hard and, they, and they, they, they put it in such a way that it's easy to understand, but it's very accurate and they have a way of putting things that make, good, that make sense. That's a great teacher. Um, anyone can just get up there and give information, but when you have a teaching gift, it's put in such a way that it may, it's practical, but it's accurate and it also takes hard things and makes them easy to understand. That's, that's speaking gift number one. Speaking gift number two is preaching. They might say, I didn't know there was a difference. There is a difference. Because a teaching is more specifically accurate, whereas preaching is more of the gift to publicly proclaim God's word to a group of people, to where the listeners are converted. Number one, they share the message of God and people's hearts are converted. People get saved. People understand the gospel. It's a gift given for preachers to be able to preach the word and people's hearts be converted to Jesus Christ. And as, as a preacher, it is the role of the preacher in the church to call people out and call them to salvation to Jesus Christ. That's a gift. And, and when that's given in a church, also, not just conversion, but conviction. They say, oh, here he goes with the conviction word. I know in our society, we don't like conviction. Because nobody likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody likes to feel that they're wrong because we're all about our feelings nowadays, right? We don't want to be told we're wrong. We don't want to feel we're wrong. Certainly when we leave church, we don't want to feel bad, all right? But let me tell you, we're sinners. Sometimes we need to feel bad, right? Uh, when I have been acting up and not treating Aaron right, when I leave from getting done preaching, I should feel convicted, right? I should, by the way, she knows a trick because she knows that I can't preach with having ought against her. So any problem she has, she usually brings up Saturday night or Sunday morning because <laughs> she knows I'm going to make it right by the time I get up and preach. I can't count how many times I've texted her and said, I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> I'm about to preach. <laughs> so, but I, and you think about this, but it convicts us. And, and, you know, we need our toes stepped on. We need, we need God's Word, not in a mean-spirited way, right? I mean, we've all saw people and hear people who get in their flesh and just want to dog out people or tear them down or trash them. That's not, that's not the gift of preaching. The gift of preaching is when God's Word is preached in such a way that it, it convicts people and it exposes uh, sin in their life that, they're, that they want to change. 
they, they, they want to be the spiritual leader of their home. They, they want to follow after God. They want to read their Bible more. They want to pray. They want greater devotion with God. Convicted for things that, that of sin in their life. So it brings conversion. It brings conviction. And it brings comfort. Um, you know, to me, one of the greatest preachers for me for comfort is Charles Stanley. I, I don't know if you've listened to him. Um, but if you really need to go to sleep, you can listen to him too because he, he's so comforting that he will put you to sleep. But when you're heartbroken and you really need some answers from God and you're really seeking after some things, he puts, he puts things in such a way that's very comforting. And as he preaches God's word, I mean, it, 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 especially stuff about assurance of your salvation, if you're struggling with if you're saved or not, he has great stuff on assurance of salvation and, and of, of uh, believing God for faith. I mean, his story of how he believed God, and I mean, he's got to be in his 90s now, I, I'm assuming, but I, I know he stepped down from teaching every week but, uh, and preaching every week, but um, what a gift. I mean, when you hear people do that and publicly, and part of that preaching gift is, is, is conversion, conviction, and comfort. That's what you see or hear in a preaching gift. And then uh, another speaking gift, is exhortation. Now, the exhortation is a speaking gift, but in a much smaller group. Um, this is one that wants to see individuals uh, grow by teaching and discipling them uh, and counseling them in a very small group. These are people that love to have coffee with people all the time and share Christ with them or talk about their Bible study or, or ask them and to pray for them or to walk with them in a one-on-one -on -one way to be able to in a very personal and direct way of leading people in their walk with Christ. And what a gift that is. I mean, because sometimes you need somebody other than the pastor or other than someone you know to come along beside you and say, hey, let me walk with you through this. Let me show you how to be discipled. Let me get to know you one-on-one -on -one to be able to exhort you, to lead you, to bring you along, to encourage you um, as I exhort you through these things. For me, um, as well, I think Miss Carol has this gift because I think Miss Carol's excellent at getting to know somebody, and, but also not just getting to know them to have a good time and have coffee and have lunch, but also in that process of discipling that person, praying for that person, and helping that person uh, lead them on. So exhortation, those are what I call the speaking gifts um, and, 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 and part of those things. So second part of that is the leading gifts. Now, the leading gifts has to do with vision and direction. Um, and obviously, number one is leadership. Um, someone is able to set the vision. You know, someone who's able to see it before anyone else could see it. That's the best way I could put it, all right? And, and we all know those people, right? They're usually optimistic. They usually smile a lot. They usually see great futures, right? Um, they're, very, they're very positive. They're always looking at the, at the positive side. They're always looking to what God can do. They're always setting the vision saying, I know where we are, but I, I, I can see where we can be in God. And God can do this and God will do this. And, he, and it sets a leadership tone. It's just like, here we are as a body of Christ and I'm leading this part of it. Um, you can see this even in a home where um, you might have a child that has this gift that kind of keeps the family going, that keeps pushing them, that kind of always puts a, puts, a, puts a smile on somebody's face or always looks at the positive side of things. It's, it's a leadership gift. You can't explain it any other way. That people tend to be attracted to that person, to be led by that person. And that's a gift that God gives. And, and you can see it in sports teams, right? As far as like 
uh, not so much a spiritual gift, but just a, a natural gift of leadership. But in the church, in the spiritual body of Christ, you can definitely see those who can set the vision, who can provide leadership and the direction of a ministry or a program or, or something like that. So leadership's one of leading gifts. Um, faith, those who believe God for big things, they have unwavering faith um, that no matter what happens, the whole world falls apart and they can still come in and say, God is good. God is faithful. God is going to keep us going, right? I mean, that's a gift. That's a gift for those who have this great faith in God, regardless of what's happening. And they lead in such a way that even when their life falls apart, they still praise God. They still worship God. That's a gift to encourage those who are going through some of these other things. Um, discernment. That's another leadership gift. Um, able to see through the real and the fake. Uh, you do know that everyone who comes to church or has leadership in a church does not have the best interest in heart sometimes, right? And so as people come and people are part of your life, especially for us that are parents and those who are, who are husbands and those who are leaders of your family or those who lead any, any type of part of it, um, you know, discernment's very, very important because discernment sees through what's good and what's bad. And so, um, you know, what other people see and take... Um, I won't mention her name, but she likes cruises a lot, and uh, she's on vacation again now. But anyways, um, she definitely has the great spirit of encouragement, but she has no discernment because <laughs> everyone's a hero. You know what I mean? You can say, oh, what about so? Oh, they're wonderful, you know? And, and, and you think, oh, well, she's always going to say they're wonderful. It's great. It's the best thing ever. But in discerning things, not everyone is wonderful. Not everyone is great. Not everyone has the best motives. Not everyone has the best intentions. And so a gift to the church is people to come and say, hey, this is leading down a road that is not right. You know what I mean? Or this person is in such a way that this discernment sees through these things, not easily taken or scammed is the way I like to put it. You know, it's people that you need around church and need around spiritual leaders, need around our teenagers. Hey, this program, this show, people shouldn't be watching this. People shouldn't be seeing this in their homes. You shouldn't allow your kids to do this. You shouldn't allow your kids to be a part of that. It's just a biblical discernment, this gift of the church and gift of the body of Christ to be able to see through the real and the fake. Um, one of the greatest ones that I can think of that's really been an impact on the world is Dr. James Dobson. I don't know if you ever heard any of his stuff, but all his stuff about parenting and all his stuff about marriage, and he, he takes a look, and, his, and now his website and his ministry takes a look at the world and what the world has to offer, and he biblically discerns between those things and says, don't let your teenager watch this movie. Let them, don't let them be a part of this curriculum. Don't let them fall for this. I mean, he gets very specific, and he has this gift of discernment to be able to tell what or how or when or to do these things. And it's a great leadership part of it um, to keep that discernment and part of those things um, as well. Another leading gift um, is evangelism. Um, that's someone that is persistent in sharing Jesus Christ in a contagious kind of way. That when you hear them sharing Jesus Christ, you want to share Jesus Christ, you want to be like them, and they're constantly witnessing, they're constantly telling others about Jesus, and it brings the gift of evangelism, and it brings the gift of leading others to want to share Jesus Christ. Like, ultimately, you want to share with your neighbor, you want to share with your family, and this gift of evangelism encourages that and lifts that up. So, that's the leading gifts. Now, finally, to the serving gifts, what I call the serving gifts. And um, 
the serving gifts are, you know, more behind the scenes and supporting roles. Um, one is mercy. So the mer- mercy is the gift to be compassionate <clears throat> or able to comfort people. Um, this is pretty low on my list, by the way. So if you're hurting and you want some pity and, and some pain, don't come to me. Okay, I'm not going to give you a whole lot of pity because mercy, you can have mercy for people, but this gift is one that's very compassionate and comforting. Um, they're the ones you want to see when you're hurt. They're the ones that you want to see when you need someone to have a listening ear. They're the ones you want to see when you need to be encouraged. They're the ones that will just come alongside and not preach to you and not throw the book at you, but just sit with you and cry with you and, and laugh with you. Or, you know, go, if you're lonely, spend some time with you. They're the ones who has this compassionate comfort, able to do them. Another um, part of mercy is a hospitality gift. You know, that people are very welcoming. They're, they're, they're hey, how you doing? You look, you know, um, bless your heart. Isn't that a Southern saying, right? Bless your heart. You look great. Have you been losing weight? You know, <laughs> your hair looks good. Did you get a haircut? You know, I mean, all those type of things, like a gift to make you feel welcome, you know? And, uh, you know, I always wonder with businesses why they put the least hospitality, you know, the least hospitable people out in the most public places. You know, you're like, that person should be back there doing something. And you should have somebody a little more hospitable up here greeting people. And, and so that's the same with the church. I mean, we, it needs people who have hospitality. It needs people who are comforting. It needs people who are encouraging, not Someone you see that you want to turn around and not speak to, but someone that's compassionate and comforting, able to come and help in the time of thing, a gift of mercy. Then the gift of giving. Um, this is a supporting role that people love to be very generous. They, they give large gifts. They love God has blessed them with, with finances and resources. And part of their gift is to be able to support the work of the ministry financially. To um, You know, I was here with people like this and people with ministries where um, I, I, when I really think of this, I think of Dr. Jerry Falwell um, with, you know, with Liberty University, and uh, he has a list of people that has given over millions and millions and millions of dollars at a time. And, uh, you know, you go to the hospital. I've been visiting hospital lately. Uh, on the wall there, they have, you know, different levels of people that's given to the hospitals for the work of comfort and care for people. And some of them are like $1 million plus. And I'm like, oh, where do those people live? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Anywhere around the world, golf village area? No, just decent. They they have the gift. You know, a million dollars and a hundred thousand and five hundred thousand. I mean, they just. Love, I mean, that's the gift of giving and, and to use it to support the church, to work of the ministry, to missionaries, to all the work of God. It's got to have some way to be funded and, and beyond just their giving to uh, to the ministry. It's a gift that encourages them. They're lifted up when they're able to support um, part of those things. Um, two more. In the serving gifts helps. Um, this is the one uh, that people have just to um, do anything, anytime, anywhere, right? Like you, you just love people that are there to do whatever. Make, make the coffee, to pick stuff up off the floor, to start whatever else, whatever's needed, they're the person there to do anything at any time. You, someone needs their yard mode, they're the first one there. If they, someone needs to pick up some for somebody, they're the first ones there. If somebody needs to drop off a meal, they're the first ones there. If someone needs to um, have their car worked on, they're the first ones there, and they really enjoy doing it. It's not drudgery to them. It's not like, oh, man, I got to go mow that person's yard this week, you know. It's like, it's exciting for them. They, they feel that gift. They know it's part of it. And if you've ever been in a situation when you can't do those things, how grateful you really are. 
because there are times when people can't cook a meal, when people can't go to the store and pick up stuff, uh, when people can't do, do things for, their own, for themselves, or when, when one's at the hospital and one's at home and they can't get their kids or they can't pick up this. And it's great to have somebody there that's willing and has a gift of helping to do anything at any time to do those things and to help in such a way uh, into serving the body of Christ. And then also, the last one is a gift of practical service. Um, this is people who love to do practical, routine things over and over that brings joy to them. Um, cleaning every week, organizing, picking up every week, setting up every week, maintenance every week, or you know, soundboard stuff, and all these things that happen every single week. Um, it's something that they like to do that because it's very practical, and they like to do it, and it's something that encourages them to be able to do something physical uh, and something practically to help um, the body of Christ. So I know I ran through them quickly. Um, tonight I didn't get it done, but I'm going to actually give you a list of all these things, and you can look at them and pray through them and, and to think about them in your life. Um, because first, I want you to, to know what your gift is, and you might have a mixture of them. You know, you might have three or four, and you might have a partial mix of some things, and you might have one that's very dominant, and you might have some that are secondary. Um, but uh, as you see these gifts, um, pray to God that He reveals what gift you have. And that's one way we can do that. We can spend a conversation with God to say, hey, how, how can I use this? What is my gift? You're the giver of it, so you're the best one to show me what it is, God. And, and I don't want to... Um, I don't want to go and waste my gift, but I want to know that I'm using my gift and using it in a certain way that you would have to build um, the church and to um, edify the body of Christ. And I want to, be, to know from God and pray, Lord, show your gift to me and let me be encouraged by it to know what it is. And secondly, study these lists. I'll, I'll give you the list. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 12, um, the other two, Romans 12, 1 through 8, and also Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Um, I'll put those scriptures too on a handout I could give you. Um, and then you go there and you read those gifts and pray to God to say, what is, what is my gift? Can you show these things? And also um, to serve, right? To actually put some of them into use. And if you never try them and you never develop them, um, that's, they, you probably won't ever see them. And sometimes you got to do it by faith, right? And you got to do it and say, God, this is the gift that I believe you've given me. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to empower me, and I'm going to use this gift in the body of Christ, and I'm going to, I'm going to put it to work. Because a lot of times we talk about it, we identify it, and we never get around to doing it, right? And so if you don't exercise it, you lose it. It's like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it, right? And so, and, and a lot of people may have, you know, spiritual gift atrophy, right? That it's a it's, it's so far weak and beat down that you got to discover it again. You got to wake it up. You got to build it up and you got to get stronger at doing it. And the more that you sense your gift is and the more that you love God, the more that you'll be willing to um, use that gift and you'll grow in that gift because you never know. You never know what God might have in your heart. You never go oh, know what God might have. And one thing's for certain though, you know, if God's called you to a church, he's placed you there and he has a role for you to play in that church. And he has a position or a, a gift given for the good of the body of Christ. And we all can't be noses. We all can't be mouths. We all can't be ears. We all can't be hands or feet or toes. Uh, we, we have to uh, come together in the unity of the body of Christ and share our gifts or to exhibit our gifts through God's power um, to one another. And when we do that, that's how you know 
you're a healthy church. That's how you know you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. And so um, I'm actually going to pray uh, for this, and I'm also going to turn off the live stream, so don't get scared if I walk that way when I turn it off, because when I went to school in Alabama, the First Baptist Church of Livingston, I went there the first time, and the preacher was actually preaching, and he said every head bowed and every eyes closed. And so uh, at, as he was praying, he came down and walked right down the middle of the aisle, and I was like, oh no, what in the world's happening? So um, you could hear, he went all the way to the back door to greet everybody when they left. So um, it was kind of, kind of, kind of made me th- stop thinking about the prayer and see what he's doing. So I'm going to walk to the back as I'm praying, so don't be scared. Let's just pray together. And uh, then we'll take questions and talk about the scriptures together tonight. So let's pray.